0: Like, I like to use the analogy of cooking here. You know, they they don't like to put the ingredients in at the right times and let it simmer and, you know, wait that long period for a really good meal. They want their kid to be microwaved and boom, they're, they're a star right now. Getting them to understand this process of youth development and really be marching towards the right end point here is really a key objective and definitely easier said than done for sure.
1: Hello, folks, and welcome to the Supporting Champions podcast. My name is Stephen. I'm delighted that you've joined us. I'm a performance scientist by trade, having helped many elite athletes and now developing people and teams to a Higher and healthier level of performance through supporting champions. And the purpose behind these podcasts is to learn from the pursuit of performance. So we're keen to explore the science, the art, the purpose, and the origins of high performance. And I'll be discussing these concepts with the people who've achieved right at the top end of performance, those people who've been a driving force in making high performance happen, and from those who've researched and explored aspects of performance in real depth. I'm joined this week by Joe Eisenman. Now, Eisenman is a very cool surname because it translates in German to Ironman, hence Joe's website, ironmanperformance.org. So Joe is a physiologist uh, by trade. He's a PhD scholar and academic, but he calls himself an a pracademic. So he's got a practitioner and an academic fusion going on there. His specialist really is around long-term athlete development and that's the subject that is the centerpiece of this discussion today. We start off discussing some of the value of really the fundamentals of pedagogy, that method and practice of teaching and how important that is to not only the pursuit of academic research but also making something happen for somebody else. Um his background actually has a relationship between sort of exploring behaviours from a lifestyle point of view and how they relate to markers of physical activity. And then we also branch that into long-term athlete development uh, and explore things like training regimes as well as parental inputs, the pressures that they're under. And the. it's very much a holistic, critical thinking approach that Joe takes to this conundrum of how you help somebody from a very young early age and continue to ensure their development stays healthy. Uh, and sustained as they take on the senior ranks, but also how they maintain and sustain healthy behaviours into later life. I very much enjoyed the conversation with Joe. He understands many of the dynamics, such as being a specialist versus a generalist, and the centrepiece of what he does is very much being mindful about the development of other humans. Joe, welcome to the podcast. It's so fantastic to to get to finally speak to you and and meet you.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, really looking forward to it.
1: Now our, our paths crossed uh, maybe a couple of months ago, and I think we both responded to something quite interesting on Twitter. It was a it was a quote that said fifty percent of papers are never read by anyone other than their authors. Yeah. Uh, referees or journal editors, and uh, I—we uh, <laughs> both responded to it, and I, I went and followed up with the person who it was sourced to, to which they said, "Oh, yeah, I don't know, I heard it in a lecture somewhere in Scotland." <laughs> but that was an intriguing yeah. piece of information, wasn't it?
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, and I think it—you know—it it, it lends to even though the number may not have been exact, but you know, we we still have this notion of you know, research that's being done, which A, is perhaps not being read, or even if it's being read, the end user has difficulty in the translation of it, mm. uh, and also with the implementation of it as well. Um, so I think those are areas that we, in sports science particularly, um, our field, uh, that we need to be uh, aware of in, in perhaps uh, making some efforts to you know, improve both the researcher-practitioner relationships, um, the the management of that knowledge, the translation of it, and the implementation of it.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think I suppose the reality is that journal published, published scientific journals are prestigious, but they're not necessarily the format that is current to this particular decade and moment in time. I was talking to Jan Lemieux, the author of these amazing infographics that are so popular, and he came to the same realization, no one's reading my research because they can't access it, either because they haven't got access or they, 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 it's, it's just uh, too far out of reach.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, Jan has been doing a great job. And um, what, why can't we mandate, why can't journals mandate that besides publishing your paper, you also have to have a piece of translational information, such as an infographic, or a blog that is attached to it as well—that's more easily
1: digestible and accessible for uh, practitioners. Yeah, well, they—they have that similar approach in, I think, it's the Netherlands where they, when you defend your PhD, it's to a public audience. That's the yeah. defense, and that yeah. it has to make sense to the examiners, but it also has to make sense to uh, every man off its street. Yeah, a-
0: absolutely. Um, I mean, that—that's a his in. I, I believe that's historic. Mm. Uh, you know, when we go all the way back to the, you know, academy system and uh, an individual would go to the public square and they, that's where they would defend their work. But yeah, I've, I've read that somewhere. I can't recall exactly where, but uh, yeah, the individual would go to the public square and basically stand in the middle of the public square and, you know, talk about their work and answer questions from any passerby or.
1: So whether it's uh, an academic process of, of getting deeper and deeper and following step by step, one study leads to the no- next study to the next study. And that's the way a certain academic study has got to take place. It's probably only about 50 to 80 years old. If you go even further back, it was actually communicated in a different way because they didn't have the means to mass publish and so on. So it's it was sticking to a way of working that's actually that not that old. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, Absolutely. Um. Uh, uh, so on on the same topic, when you publish your report, uh, now you have the world to review your work, right? Because there's the comment section underneath that, mm. um, and and the expedience of it as well, right? Because again, practitioners they want an answer on Monday morning because they have to work with coaches and athletes or patients, you know. Um, that's the other fault of the peer review process is how long it's taking as well
1: yeah it won't it won't count in a very narrow view of viewing that work but it yeah. will probably count uh to the rest of the world
0: yeah i mean impactfulness right yeah, yeah. like what, what like how, how do we really measure impactfulness um in in, in scholarly work of course, we can talk about the impact factor of a journal and you know the number of times it's cited, but uh yeah, to really get at true impactfulness is pretty complex.
1: Um yeah, that's another topic for another time. That's amazing. Yeah. Um so your your website is Ironman Ironman Performance, is that right?
0: IronmanPerformance.com. Yeah. And
1: that's a base on your name, isn't it? Isonman is Ironman. Yeah, that's correct. I'm, I'm just that's just in such a strong surname <laughs> compared with ingham which sounds like a a ringtone of some sort um so i'm i'm very jealous not the fact that it's just Iron Man, but it's the german version of ironman um, yeah. that is that's cool yeah well, yeah you're lucky <laughs> um so i'm really keen to to dig into some of the key insights that you've acquired over the, over your career um some around that long-term athlete development uh, but also the broader health piece that you've been researching almost from a behavioral point of view but I'd be really keen to, to kind of find out where where you kind of started on this journey what, what were the sort of pivotal moments how did you kind of get into sport and therefore the study of the the human response to it
0: yeah I mean that that goes back to my childhood um so I think like a lot of us who are in this field we we enjoyed sport as youngsters and probably had some success in it. Um, and then that, for me, that carried forward into collegiate athletics and the pursuit of physical education. Um, which recently I listened to a, a podcast from Vern Gambetta, um, who also is steeped in the in the field of physical education and pedagogy. And it's an area that I think too often sports scientists and strength and conditioning coaches miss is the pedagogical aspects of their craft, mm. you know, get, get so caught up in testing and monitoring and sets and repetitions and programming that we lose that pedagogical aspect of, you know, how are we actually teaching and a, a, a good full understanding of the learning of a new skill as well. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm happy I have that background in physical education. Um, and then from there I went on to graduate studies um, at Northern Arizona, worked at the High Altitude Training Center, which really focused on endurance athletes. And uh, I am not a A-robe at all. I'm more of an anaerobe, yeah. And and uh, really, really enjoy, um, you know, the, the big three American sports, which I participated in through my childhood and adolescence, and that's football, baseball and basketball. Um, but nonetheless, um, had a great experience at Northern Arizona in the High Altitude Training Center. Um, and working with some very high-end endurance athletes who would come um, and basically employ the live high, train low concept um, and Flagstaff. Um, and then uh, my real interest is really youth athletic development, which, again, stems from my, from my youth and my coaching experience. So sought out um, very good Ph.D. programs and landed at Michigan State University where Professor Bob Molina was. Um, and if you're familiar with youth athletic development, I mean, Bob basically wrote the book called growth, maturation, physical activity, Mm -hmm. you know, very well published, very well respected, especially in the European, um, sport, youth sport system. Um, so I had a great experience there and then went into academia and I've, I've 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 always been at major universities um, over right. the past 15 years or so, and if you're familiar with the American system at what we call Carnegie 1 institutions, the, uh, the the dean and the department chair they basically have their hands around your neck, wanting you to secure grant funding. So there's there's no grant funding in in youth sports or sports science. So uh, my focus was on childhood obesity, youth fitness, and cardiometabolic risk factors. Um, and then in 2012, I guess I had a midlife crisis, Stephen. Uh, I, I, I said, I want to I go back to what I'm really passionate about. You know, I'm 45 years old, and I want to I, I do what I'm passionate about and enjoy doing, and that's youth athletic development. So I founded uh, Spartan Performance, uh, which is on the campus of Michigan State University. And it was a youth sport uh, performance center and research uh, center. And was there for four years and then was given the opportunity to go to USA football. Um, and again, that step there in terms of like pivotal moments in my career, I I made that decision to leave academia, kind of going back on what we talked about, knowledge management, knowledge translation and implementation because you know, as an academic, you write these papers and they go to a scientific journal. And as we discuss, like, who really reads them? Are they really being read by the end user and being implemented? So having that opportunity to leave academia and go to a national governing body um, seemed to be a good thing for me to do and oversee long-term athletic development for America's sport, if you will, football. Um Things didn't work out for me, and I, I decided to leave USA Football last December, and now I'm consulting um, around these areas of sport science, sport technology, and long-term athletic development.
1: Wow, okay. That's a hell of a career. So there's quite a lot in there, if you don't mind me unpacking a, a few of those yeah. things. So you went from your graduate studies straight into working at the High Altitude Center. Was that the step that you, you took? That, was, that would have been quite amazing
0: yeah so that that was part of my graduate study so that was during my master's uh program so we had two years in flagstaff arizona and um so i basically had a graduate assistantship or a research assistantship at this high altitude training center
1: without wanting to ask you specifically your age because that's very un unpolite in uh in a in a british way can you point the year to me for this because this um that's, that sounds quite a, a forward-thinking opportunity that that you would have been given back then, back in the day.
0: Yeah, so I'm I'm 48 years old.
1: You didn't have to say. Didn't have to say. that's fine. You, yeah, look, yeah, you that's look good okay. on 48. That's cool. Yeah,
0: thank you. <laughs> uh, it's only a, it's only a number, right? It's only a number. <laughs> um, so so that that period was 1994 to 1996. Okay. Uh, yeah, and and again it. A lot of athletes from around the world would come to Flagstaff, and, you know, it's at uh, – it, it is 7,200 feet, which is about uh, 2,000 meters, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and so they would, they would live there, and then in 30-minute drive, they could be down to about 3,000 feet. So they could they could go down there and do more of their high-intensity training. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, do some of their training at altitude as well. And then from there, often many of them would go over to Kona for the, for the Ironman competition in Hawaii. Um, so yeah, it got, got to be around a lot of very high level, you know, triathletes at that time. And also, uh, you know, distance runners.
1: And then, so your, your next step, was that from the altitude center to, to academia and, uh, delivering lectures, uh, researching. Was that the next step?
0: So so that was my master's degree. Next step would have been my PhD. Um, so going to Michigan State, studying with Professor Molina at the Youth Sports Institute and spending four years there and then launching my career into, you know, uh, being a professor.
1: So you you reference there this this challenge when you're working in academia. You, you potentially go into it with some of your own passions and interests that have been sparked along the journey. Um and that you're you're then potentially required to do something that you're not as as interested in, or that has some worth, but but is directed as much by funding agencies where you can get research grants that fuel that the focus of an academic department.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, you know, again, during my PhD, my passion was youth sports. I was at the Youth Sports Institute um but being you know being mentored and saying you know what do you want to do when you finish and saying well i want to remain in academia uh the advice was well if you want to stay in academia and be at a larger institution um you know you're going to have to really focus more on health related research uh disease related research because you know that's what the National Institutes of Health funds. That's what the American Heart Association funds, American Diabetes Association, and obviously that's that's the world of academia, right? Not not only publisher parish, but really it's the step before that, and that is securing grant funding, mm-hmm. uh, which is a major metric when you're at a you know um, a larger university in the United States, as opposed to you know some of our smaller and mid-sized schools where teaching. Uh, takes on um, greater responsibility and greater value, I'll say, as well. Um, and, yeah, you, you know, before we, we started recording here, we we got into this conversation about larger schools and smaller midsize schools. And there, there's some great sports science work that's going on at some smaller and midsize schools in the U.S. because they're allotted to, you know, kind of pursue that type of work and really be a pracademic you know, they're, they have, they're doing a lot of practical and applied things right there on their campus with the athletics program. Um, and also being in the classroom with their students, and you just have this nice marriage of the practical applied aspect and involving the students in some great learning experiences, you know, in the classroom, but also in the field or the, in the field and the laboratory.
1: Okay, so pracademic, academic, we've definitely got to let me park that a moment, because we'll come back to that. That's that's definitely a concept I want to 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 unpack, and as anybody would know, me would would expect me to. Um, but but it, the experience that you had working in that, uh, I don't know whether I call it the right traditional is the right term, but um, fairly predictable. We can get funding in these particular areas, and therefore we would like the the academics in our department to focus on these areas. Um, that focused on uh, on childhood health and. Uh, and growth maturation consequences that might turn up in out in adulthood that have manifested themselves fairly early on. And, and whilst that might not necessarily have have been your full flavor and might not be the direction you're taking now, that sounds like a hugely worthwhile um, source of research. Can you give us a few insights as to the, some of the major findings that you got from that particular period of your study?
0: Yeah. uh, So yeah, a lot of that work was on, you know, Habitual physical activity, moderate to vigorous physical activity, sedentary behavior, screen time, but also doing some work on sleep, stress, and genetics. And um, if you if you read some of my scientific publications, you're going to find, especially in the discussion, I talk a lot about multifactorial phenotypes. And you know too oftentimes we we like to be very myopic and very simple in our thinking, like, Physical activity is the be all end all. Like if you're physically active, you're going to be healthy. And even though globally, we can make that statement because we do know that leading a physically active lifestyle has a myriad of health benefits in childhood, adolescence, and then into adulthood. But, you know, there's still several of these other factors that both independently and in their interactions you know both you know like if we just take environmental factors or lifestyle factors such as physical activity and screen time mm. like like we have a lot of youngsters who they meet physical activity recommendations but they still watch 4 hours of television or have 4 hours of screen time so like what's the what's the combinatorial effect of that right and then we can layer on sleep and stress in, in there as well. And we're not even starting to talk about genetics yet and the yeah. gene and environmental interaction. So, yeah, a lot of my work was really trying to untangle and better understand, you know, the contributions of each of those individual lifestyle factors along with genetics and the combination of them on these health related phenotypes. So not providing a specific insight here, but kind of transitioning to what I'm doing now. And again, we had this conversation before we started airing is, you know, my passion and my interest and my dedication right now is on long term athlete development. So taking, you know, what we just talked about with the physical activity and health related fitness of youngsters, you know, that work definitely was not wasted, so to speak, in my career. Um, because there is significant overlap with long-term athlete development. However, I don't think a lot of people see that. And I think that's an important insight that can be raised um, is long-term athlete development. One, it's not just for athletes. We need to we need to rethink how we're defining athlete, especially youth athlete, young athlete. Um, and also that it's not just for those youngsters who are on the elite or competitive or performance pathway. And so, you know, some of the work that I did with physical activity and and fitness is overlapping with long-term athlete development in terms of what we might call the participation pathway, you know, and and I think we need to start seeing those two merge a little bit more rather than just thinking of long-term athletic development as, Hey, it's just for, High-level young athletes. Right.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, so if I can roll with that a little bit, then um, if you're you have a background with that almost behavioural, uh, the the some of the lifestyle factors and how they relate to health, how does that translate to sort of your support of athletes, where potentially you might be talking about training, or in one breath, but at the same time also thinking. I wonder what are the conditions at home that allow and support this, whether that's uh sleep, whether that's time in front of the PlayStation, or equally uh parental support, uh and how people are being nurtured. Is that yeah. am I hearing that the, the translation you, there?
0: Yeah, we we are we're talking the same language for sure here, Stephen. I mean this this is let's use the word holistic. I mean we need to be taking this holistic approach to Youth development, Um, you know, and again, that's I think that's another place where long term athlete development in our area is misguided because oftentimes we think it's just the strength and conditioning activities. It's just teaching kids fundamental movement skills. And what we're missing is the tactical, the technical, the psychosocial development and also the character development that goes along with this model or this framework of long-term athlete development. And so, yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct. Like, you know, if if we were to go out and see model programs, these model programs not only are doing the physical things correctly and technical and tactical things correctly, they're also addressing the psychosocial and the character development of these youngsters. And they're addressing nutrition and other lifestyle things like sleep as well. And, yeah, the, the the really big challenge here is the parental piece, you know, as well. Because, obviously, with youth athlete development or just youth physical development in general, no matter what the context is, if it's physical education, recreational sport or competitive sport, the pa- the parent plays such a key role. And we need to get parents better understanding what this framework looks like, um, and, and the potential that it has if you know certain uh, tenants are are properly addressed along the way.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've got to be honest when I read the title of uh, one of your research articles, the protective effects of parental monitoring on children media use. I, I genuinely want to say to my daughters. I spoke to a world expert on this and said you've got to cut down screen time. Yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, with, without you saying yes, you should say that to her. But um, the, <laughs> <laughs> the this this is a is something that I just don't think it's being uh, addressed uh, or constructively being supported. I think there are pop up examples of people who are. Are getting getting into this area? Uh, I can think of a lady Lucy McCrudden who, in the UK, set up one of our podcasts with with, with a ballerina. She has a mm-hmm. company which is supports parents in performing arts, for example. Such yeah. a big area to be able to help yeah. support the the performing dancer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There aren't that
1: many in sport I don't, that I'm aware of?
0: No, and and, and again, you know, this, this is an area that we really need to do a better job with is is the parental piece i think a lot of times a we we become focused on um the coach and coach education and coach development and and they are they're they're a key driver in this as well and we know that the coaches are complaining to us about parents (laughs) and we need to find some solutions as to how coaches can better um I don't want to say deal with parents because it's really not dealing with them. I think it's more of engaging and educating and collaborating with the parent on this. And there, you know, there are a handful of individuals where this is kind of their forte. Uh definitely not my forte is, is the parent piece, but definitely there's recognition that th- this is a vital part of, you know, youth physical fitness, youth physical activity, long-term athlete development, whatever you like to call it.
1: It seems almost like uh, an opportunity to channel parental effort, um, because most most parents who are taking the time to drive their children to practice and to training and to and to competitions, that's a huge commitment, and they want to see their children succeed or grow personally during that process. It's finding ways to to make that more effective as opposed to just leave them to their own devices.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And as you were speaking there, the thing that I was thinking of are, I think a lot of the parents are, they're very overzealous as well. Like, you know, they they, they want to speed things up because in in my experience with American parents, many think that their children are going to go on and play collegiate sport. Um, And so you know, they, they, they really have the the wrong uh, end marker in mind. And they, like, I like to use the analogy of cooking here. You know, they, they, they don't like to put the ingredients in at the right times and let it simmer and, you know, wait that long period for a really good meal. They want to microwave it, right? Like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they like they they want they want their kid to be microwaved and boom they're they're a star right now and so getting i mean again getting it getting them to understand this process of youth development and 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 really be marching towards the right end end point here um is really a, a key objective and definitely easier said than done for sure yeah you know i i, I i've I've addressed parents before, and it's uh, it's challenging. It's a difficult environment to be in, you know, to stand up in front of 20 parents. And, you know, they, they all want their kid to be, you know, a, a really good athlete and trying to talk to them about the developmental process and why we're doing things in an age and developmentally appropriate manner, you know like again they they're like well why do we need to do that he's already doing that we need to be doing this uh quicker faster we need to get them to this endpoint they need to be going to this tournament and be seen in front of these coaches and these scouts right um and and if we don't do it now we're going to miss this opportunity so um it it it's, it really becomes a culture change doesn't it as well
1: it's, that's interesting in the in the sense that it's um the, the searching for the silver bullet, the quick route, um, yeah. whether it's the competition selection or exposure to the right people, or I often see people who who really would prefer to do the, the shiny thing that, that doesn't really do much, but it looks clever, it looks funky, yeah. it looks cool, as opposed to do the basics really well getting to bed on time, cutting down screen time, getting good quality nutrition on a regular basis, uh, taking time out, mentally Mm. looking after your mind as well as as your body, that's boring. That takes effort. (laughs) That takes uh, routine and diligence and industry as opposed to just looking for the shortcut.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I think you nailed it in terms of let's just keep it simple. Let's do the fundamentals and do the fundamentals really well. Um, and you're right, like they want that silver bullet, like whether it be training methodology or what have you, um, and yeah, trying to get them to understand that premise, like I said before, it's, it's, it, it's very challenging.
1: You talked there about holistic point of view and, um, in Vern Gambetta, uh, his podcast early on in the, in, I think it's, um, episode four one, but in Vern's episode, he talked about being proud or inversely, not ashamed to be a specialist generalist. And, yeah. and that's something I wrote about in the book, that it's just very – that's me. I'm, I'm, yeah. I've done a PhD in a very narrow area that is useful probably once a decade. <laughs> uh, the, yeah. In the meantime, I've got a conversation with an athlete, and I'm going to encounter maybe 20 or 30 different topics – of very diverse approaches some of which I would refer on to other people some of which I will have an answer to or a solution others I'll have to go and work out
0: yeah I, I, I think uh, I think we're one and the same on that because I'm I'm in that same boat um, and that, one reason why I enjoy listening to Vern so much as well mm. is around that is around that concept and you know there's a few ways to look at this and you know one deals with how we're trained um, you yes. know if we if, if we're going to be in the sporting environment you know and a lot of people talk about the silos the exercise physiology silo the biomechanics silo the strength and conditioning silo what have you um, you know to to be a generalist becomes really difficult because there's so much knowledge in each of the subdisciplines, and we all have to have our own specialization so to speak but I think there's a lot to be said about how those individuals interact with each other and to kind of know, know your boundaries a, a bit. So when you need to refer on to somebody, so for example, we just finished talking about parents and it's not my forte. i I was the first to, you know, admit that. And so I would say, Hey, if we really want to dig into this, let's go talk to this person. But on the other hand, if you have that person in your camp, to be doing professional development so that you have, you know, a much broader scope of when you go and address that athlete or when you go and address that parent. Um, and so you can at least uh, on the surface, provide some good insight and education to that, to that certain situation.
1: Yeah. That's a, that's a concept that I think many people struggle with a little bit. I was having a conversation with a colleague recently about altitude training and how we've, in the UK made that very effective for endurance athletes mm-hmm. and, um, and how in the UK, we're not experts on it. We're experts in getting it to work for athletes. Um, and, uh, and the conversation with uh, this colleague who said, actually, you know what, that would be a really interesting topic to have a look at the respiratory response. Once people get down to get down to back down to sea level again, I said, I'm sure it is interesting, but I'm, I'm not the man to do that. Uh, I'm the man to say I don't understand this someone else might do but it's a priority for our effort to address the next big thing uh, not just go deeper and deeper and try and find all the answers to everything that's not going to give you return on investment to improving performance
0: yeah no it, it, exactly I, I think the other thing that came to my mind there is being able to be um a critical thinker and a problem solver mm. and that individual had that question, and I'm sure the individuals in your camp could have sat down for a week and read the literature with a critical eye and interpreted it and made good sense of it as well. So I think that's the other part of it is, you know, if, if we're trained in a specialty, but yet there's questions that are outside of our realm, still being able to use some of those key academic critical thinking problem solving skills to shed light to that question but you're exactly right when you don't know the answer you know we need to be proud (laughs) so to speak Um, but and and (laughs) and 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 proud in the fact that we have this growth mindset and proud in the fact that we are willing to go out and say I don't know the answer I need to help get help from other individuals who this is their area of expertise
1: yeah so that's, that's actually quite a, a unique skill that I don't think many people talk about. Uh, you mentioned right at the top of the recording, uh, the ability to go in and assess some information, whether that's reading a scientific journal or a translational piece, assess mm-hmm. it, evaluate it, and then get back out there to think, I haven't got the answer here, or I need to go and find somewhere else, or this gives me enough information to go on to to make a recommendation. Go in, assess, come back out again, as opposed to deep dive, spend all day reading and reading more and more.
0: Yeah. Uh, to me, that also alludes to this concept I like to talk about called the living lab. We, uh, we're we all in a living lab, and we, if we like it or not, we're all really scientists. We make observations every day, and we read, and we... We implement what we've read and our knowledge back into our observations and questions that we come up with. And in that situation, what you just described, you you're really collecting data and you're making inferences from your observations and the data that you collected. It's It's very similar to what happens in the hospital system with uh, yeah. w- w- with quality improvement or quality assurance departments, right? And, and we're doing it every day in our strength and conditioning, uh, gym or on the on the field or on the pitch as well but again we have to have that tool set and the confidence to use that tool set in terms of you know planning doing collecting data evaluating and then going back into that cycle again
1: i love that term living lab but also recognizing the the value of uh, what we feel and think and our hunches as well as yeah what does what does the data say? Uh, and blending blending that that's uh, yeah that's that's a nice reframe. <laughs> that if if fundamentally the emotions affect how we perform, then you've got to recognise it. Whether it's you and I working alongside each other, or whether it's us working with an athlete uh, or a parent or or whoever.
0: Yeah, it, and again, this this is a hot topic, sort isn't it? This emotional and social intelligence. That's kind of what we're speaking of right now. and again, we get we get so enamored by the science and the physiology, biomechanics, the, and, and whatnot, and we lose sight of that, you know, emotional and social intelligence about how that affects not only decision making, um, but also the the implementation um, and effectiveness of that programming, if you will.
1: Yeah absolutely. I mean I think that it's relatively common for uh for a practitioner strength coach biomechanist physiologist to to ask an athlete how they feel at yeah. the top of a of a consultation and that can set the direction. That's mm-hmm. I think that's relatively common. I think people will recognize that over training still this look, search for a big biomarker. Wow. We're, we're still down to <laughs> how are you? yeah uh, and we might only yeah. have to stay there because it is is actually a very cool uh, question to ask um but equally, I don't and I think this is part of you know very much what we do now, but that's recognizing that that question is just as valid with a working relationship too um it might not be the thing that we want to ask let's crack on and talk about cool science and and something that a new breakthrough but actually understanding the dynamic between two people whether it's an athlete or a coworker is just as important for you to constructively move forward as a pair or a group
0: yeah no totally agree with that that's uh, very well stated
1: mm. so how much of that is is in your work around uh, athlete development is is respecting not only the 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 physical, the emotional and mental psychological side of things, but almost environmental too.
0: Yeah. Again, this, this is kind of the the holistic approach, right? So if we have this and I'm just going to use long-term athletic development framework or pathway in mind, you know, how that is implemented in certain communities, in certain socio environmental fields it's, it, it takes on a whole new flavor and how you go about it and the progressions of it as well. So it, it's definitely something that needs that needs to be considered. you know if you're in an affluent community versus in you know a lower income community, um, that's going to affect uh, your relationships and interactions with the individuals within that ecosystem.
1: Okay, this, this is a potentially tricky question uh to answer given that we've also just said that it needs to be holistic can you see any common trends it's very difficult to cut and paste uh one dynamic whether it's environmental physical mental any any of those that, that cut and paste across in uh different situations different cultures um but if you were to sort of step back from your the field of expertise that you operate in you think actually there's some there's some key areas that the you'd be looking for before most other topics or areas what would those sorts of things be i mean the coach is in the middle of
0: this so i think coach education coach relationships and i'm going to go back to the pedagogy of it as well and um i mean coaching is good teaching right Mm. and you know no no matter what your long-term athletic development framework is that coach has to be able to deliver each of those elements. And again, is very central um, to this, to this whole pathway into the young athletes experience um, in, in, in sports or whatever recreational activity it is.
1: Okay. So um, tricky question, but your answer there is about understanding the dynamic, the effective relationship between, the, the two key units, the athlete and the coach, in that sense, you can't look for good facilities or you can't look for yeah. uh, a place, a good cafe nearby for that people can talk. You're talking about a human connection. We're a social species at heart. And 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 ultimately, if you're going to constructively work together, that unit has to work.
0: Absolutely. I mean, what you just said there, like the, the facilities, you know, do the facilities really matter if you have a poor coach. Right. The, the again, the coach is the delivery system. Yeah. So the, such a such a key element in how we educate that individual um, and, and also how that individual develops themselves, which goes along with a lot of the things that we've been talking about today with, you know, the, the open mindedness and, um, you know, the ability to get in and read and think and observe and kind of do your own self study, if you will. Um, is so critical for that for that coach to continue to develop.
1: Yeah, I mean we've talked about the the pivotal role of parents. This is such the big opportunity in in sport. But coaching, coaching coaches are leaders in that sense. They're yeah. not the people who just put the cones out and do the stopwatch or put the lane ropes out. Uh, they are their behaviours are magnified and reflected. If a coach is having a bad day, everyone's probably going to be put in a bad mood as a consequence. The coach. Uh, dictates the pace the tone the the support the the ambition these are these are leadership qualities at at the end of the day aren't they
0: they certainly are And and I think you know again getting coaches to understand that as well you know like as you were speaking there I'm I'm just visualizing in my head a practice field with the coach and all eyes are on the coach the kids come to practice or the game and eyes are on the coach parents they look to the coach and that coach needs to understand you know that critical role that they play and yeah as you mentioned leadership becomes such a big part of that and having those coaches understand that 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 they are leaders and that they need to act and behave as leaders is is really important and again So many of our coaches get enamored with the X's and the O's, that they really forget about those leadership qualities and the teaching of character and psychosocial development of those youngsters. Um, So, again, I think it's always a good reminder for those coaches what you exactly said. You, You are the leader. Those kids, those parents... Are looking to you as a leader. That's that's so critical, Stephen.
1: Yeah, and and, and in some ways, co- the profession of coaching, people don't carry the badge of coaching with the respect it deserves. Maybe in the top tier, in the NBA and the, the Premier League, that it they're the figurehead, they're the the eagle type leader. But but the coach on the ground working with a local club, they should they should carry that pride in the same way.
0: Absolutely, if not even more
1: yeah absolutely they're (laughs) they're affecting the trajectory of a a young yeah
0: young person yeah well i mean i said coaching is teaching so if we go into a if we go into a school setting it's no different all eyes are on the teacher in the classroom because they are the leader and they act and behave in that manner as well so we should be expecting the same you know from our coaches and i think we just need to relay that to them a little bit better especially those who as you mentioned they're 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 in their small community and they're a volunteer coach, but still they have such a big impact on the development of that youngster, and the development of the entire community, if you will.
1: Just just listening to you today and thinking about how this actually translates not just from uh, from an academic study to to sport that translational piece, the the findings and the implications that you've you've discovered or. Or shared with with people over time, how that relates to parents and to to coaches. But um, that holistic word that you said right at the top about understanding multifactorial inputs, that relates to somebody who's on a train or a commute or grafting away in work, that it, it doesn't just get boiled down to one particular intervention. They need to be thinking about their own life and their performance quite holistically too. In the same way that Coaching as leaders, uh, leaders should be thinking of themselves as coaches in, in inspiring other people and motivating other people. I'm, I'm hearing so much overlap to, to the non-sporting world too. <laughs> a question that I ask a lot of my friends
0: when I first see them, what's your quality of life? On a scale of 1 to 10, what's your quality of life? So think about quality of life. All those pieces that we talked about, affect quality of life, mm-hmm. right? So at the end of the day, isn't that really one of the most important metrics for all of us, quality <laughs> of life, right? Like it doesn't matter if you're, you know, an architect, a plumber, a coach, an athlete, a school teacher, whatever, like we all strive to have a good quality of life. So in order to have a good quality of life, we, we, need, we need to pay attention to all the pieces of the puzzle as well. So, again, metaphorically, the athlete has a lot of pieces of the puzzle. As human beings, you know, we have a lot of pieces of the puzzle that we need to, you know, um, water so that they grow. Mm. And, uh, you know, we need to feed them appropriately, don't we? And a little exercise I like to do is just take out a piece of paper and you write down the ideal day. What does your ideal day look like? What things would you be doing? Um, You know, and obviously for me, part of that is getting up and having a cup of coffee and reading the newspaper and going for a walk and going for a run and lifting weights. Like how does that fit into my day (laughs) as well? But also the things that I do in my career and I'm going to go back to this word impactful, you know, what's the impact that's being made as well. I think that becomes really important. And to me right now um, the impactfulness is really being able to get to that end user And to me, the end users are young athletes and the coaches who are delivering the system to them. You know, um, and again, I can go back into academia and I can write papers. Are any of those coaches ever going to read those papers? Probably not. Are any of the strength coaches going to read some of the papers? Maybe. But, you know, finding alternative ways to get that information and knowledge to them via blogs, Uh, social media, um, and, uh, you know, podcasts such as this, infographics, um, live in-person clinics where you can really have an impact and do hands-on education with coaches. Um, Those are things that, you know, drive me currently in terms of impactfulness and uh, my quality of life.
1: Ah, That's amazing. Ideal day. I'm taking that. I'm stealing that from you, Joe.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: yeah. And and so then looking forward, what's you, you said you don't know whether you're going to necessarily be doing this in five or ten years. That time, but uh, what what do you hope for looking forward?
0: I'm just enjoying living in the moment. Um, obviously, we all have to plan, and sometimes we don't know what type of opportunities are going to come our way in the future. Right now, I'm really not worried about opportunities that are going to be coming in the future. And again, I'm going to go back to as long as on a day-to-day basis, I can have the this impactfulness on young athletes. I really don't care where I'm at. You know, I I think my my educational background and my skill set allows me to operate in a variety of different domains and organizations, which one is right for me. I'm not really sure as but. I know what's going to happen is the work that I do on the, on a daily basis is having this impact on the development of young athletes so that they have a positive experience in sport. Um, And, you know, I'm going to circle back to, it's also, it also deals with the people that you surround yourself with, you know, like in our profession, Stephen, we see a lot of logo chasers, you know, they, they they want to work for the big club, the pro sports team or whatever. And then they get they find themselves in those positions and it's not all the glitz and glamour that they thought. And you ask them what their quality of life score is, it's less than five on a scale of one to ten. And even though they can walk around and have the nice logo on their shirt, and they you know, they they, they feel they feel a source of meaningfulness in that. Um, their quality of life is not good. So, again, it's surrounding yourself with really quality people um, that you enjoy working with and who are on the same mission as you're on and can also, for me, push my growth as well.
1: Love that. And and I'm not surprised, given the conversation, that you, you offered quite uh, an emotive perspective, quite a philosophical view of living in the moment if you were to say, right, here's my bullet point plan, and I must follow these KPIs and tick box exercise that takes me forward in a very structured way to the end destination, that you're talking about a feeling, you're talking about autonomy, that's quite a personal uh, sense of freedom almost, rather than order and specific structure. Almost a dint of the journey that you've Uh, made over the years you've acquired these experiences and only until you've acquired them to a level that you're comfortable with a degree of mastery there you've got an understanding of where you're going that you're in a position to be quite free and and uh, explorative almost in uh, as to what's next
0: yeah and I'd be careful with the word mastery as well
1: degrees you know, of I, I, yeah you you you, you will know, have to recognize even if you are too humble to say that you have that you'll you'll have degrees of knowing what your
0: what your expertise is and especially going back to you know the specialist generalist idea as well mm. because then you find yourself thinking that you need to be an an expert or mastery in all these yeah. little buckets as well and as we discussed early on that becomes so difficult and so challenging, but it's also so rewarding to keep knowing that you, you can keep growing in each of these little buckets and that there's going to be other ones that come along in time that may contribute as well. Hmm. So, I mean, I, I just think it's part of the growth mindset and, you know, for, for individuals and, you know, it's maybe an overused term these days, but we know that there's these individuals who they they just love learning. And it's not only the love of learning, it's reflecting on it and trying to think how you can incorporate it into your life and or your profession as well.
1: Fantastic. Now I just, that's it's been a, a really powerful hour to spend with you. I think if I, if I, if I start from today thinking about my ideal day, it's, it's connecting with some inspiring people like yourself and hearing these sorts of perspectives. So um, it's been amazing to, to chat to you and, and look forward to see how it all unfolds for you. Um, Joe, I'm really appreciative of your of your time and uh, and sharing your your insights with the with the podcast. If if um, if people wanted to follow you and connect with you, where, where's the best place for them to to find you if they're not they're already doing so? Yeah,
0: I'm I'm actually quite free with my email address. Like if people want to reach out and ask a question, or I've had people reach out like, hey, can we Skype? I heard you on this podcast, and I'm interested in this. You know, I'm always willing to give you know, 15, 20 minutes, sometimes 30 minutes just to Skype and connect with people and learn from them and see what they're doing. So they can reach out via email. So joe Eisenman at gmail.com. Uh, so last name is E-I-S-E-N-M-A-N-N, joeisenman at gmail.com. And um, on Twitter, um, at joe underscore Eisenman.
1: Fantastic. And your website, we, we talked about it at the top, just remind us again. Uh
0: Ironmanperformance.com
1: So if people didn't get your surname spelling then they can just Google Ironman in German and, and the find them.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Joe, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Yeah, thanks for your time. This has been an enjoyable just conversation, Stephen. Uh, I've, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you.
1: You can follow Joe on Twitter at Joe underscore Isenman. That's J-O-E underscore E-I-S-E-N-M-A-N-N. And you can have a look at his website, ironmanperformance.org. You can follow us on Twitter. Also, I'm on Ingham underscore Steve, and you can follow the wider Supporting Champions team at support underscore champs. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Look up Supporting Champions. And if you want further updates and this content straight to your inbox, then subscribe at supportingchampions.co.uk.